This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Well, Professor Gershon, we're going to talk about new beginnings, out with the old, in with the new, like a new year or a birthday. How are you today? Doing great, Liz. Hope you're doing well and uh, hope your week's off to a good start. I can't believe... 2023 is half over, uh, but that July means new laws in Mississippi, and today we're excited to have MPB's own Kobe Vance, who is the um, executive uh, producer of Mississippi Edition. Um, so good morning, Kobe, and welcome to the show. W- would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in, in what's happening in the legislature? Yeah, well, thank you all so much for having me. Well, like I said, uh, my name's Kobe Vance. I have worked here at MPB for several years now as a reporter. And just this year, or after the session ended, I switched over into the executive producer position. Um, I've been in Mississippi my entire life. And, you know, it's always been my goal to be a part of something that helps move the state forward. And while I'm certainly no legal expert, I thought that being able to be a reporter was going to be a way that I could help at least bring the topics that people need to know about to light. Well, that sounds great. So, you know, we, we got a lot of new laws. We probably won't get through all of them. But oh, yes. Some are, some are pretty, uh, uh, you know, simple, and others are more complex and, and a little controversial. So tell us a little bit about some of these laws that uh, have taken effect. Well, I'll start with the easy ones. Um, Two big changes for Mississippi is that we now have a new state gemstone, that would be opal, and we have a new state fruit, that's the blueberry. Um, The blueberry is actually a pretty interesting story because what happened, a teacher in Madison County, they were trying to help teach their students about the legislative process. And they had seen other people in like Arkansas and other states do this as well. So they got their students together. They said, what do y'all want to be the state fruit? They chose blueberries because that's the biggest producing fruit in Mississippi. And they were able to call their lawmakers, get their parents involved, other community members involved. And, you know, real kids were able to have an impact on the law in Mississippi. And now we got state blueberry. I love that story. Yeah, it's it's uh, that's just one of the. The cute things about the legislative session that you get to watch and, you know, it it inspires the next generation of people who might want to make change in the state. Well, uh, and like you said, we had some other ones that were a a bit more tricky. Uh, We got several laws. We have everything ranging from ones that deal with elections, schools. Uh, We have ones that deal with criminal justice. So there's a range. I love the story about the the blueberries. It it just really does go to show that – these are our laws, and this is our state. And if you don't like it, you have the power to change it. And if you ha- see a, a path for a better way, mobilize and get something done. And it's such a complicated process. 
it's really tricky to get confused and lost in the in the weeds of it all. So knowing that some kids got in on the groundwork, I think that's going to really help them if they want to ever pursue this again. And I'm a kind of trivia nerd, so I, I love the, the gemstone that we've got a new gemstone. Opal, yeah. Um, I don't have a story behind that one, but <laughs> it's still neat. Well, I'm glad we started with those. Uh, and then I think one that also I think is probably not that controversial, um, and that is uh, talk about postpartum coverage that uh, that the legislature took up uh, this legislative session. It has gotten passed, so it was able to get through the majority of folks, but I would not say that it wasn't controversial either. There's been a lot of interesting debate on this topic. So for background, Mississippi had If you had a baby in Mississippi, you could qualify for Medicaid for six weeks, and that would get you through a month and a few extra days to be able to, you know, get go back to the doctor to revisit, um, say, you need to check up. How am I doing, doctor? I just had a baby, blah, blah, blah. Well, for a lot of mothers, that wasn't enough time to be able to really find the problems that come after pregnancy and after giving birth. So what they did was they there's been a push over the past several years to have this extended to 12 months. And that's a full year of Medicaid coverage for mothers who are trying to make sure that they are the healthiest they can be so the baby is the healthiest they can be. Now, there were others that said that they didn't want to have any expansion of Medicaid whatsoever. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves is a, probably the biggest example of that, as well as uh, outgoing Speaker of the House Philip Gunn. But And while a similar plan was passed in the Senate last year, this year uh, the Senate was able to get it again, and the House decided, let's just go ahead and let it pass. Yeah, and I said it wasn't controversial, but, you know, what I should have said was it probably shouldn't have been controversial because, you know, it, it is something that is a big boon to, for parents of newborns. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, I think, going to be a real plus for people who – need that support. Um, and one that I'm not sure I really totally understand, maybe you can help us with if, if, if you have any insights, is the, the bill, House Bill 401 puts restrictions on how electric vehicles can be sold in the state. Um, and can you, can you tell us a little bit about that bill um, and, and what's going on with that? There's an interesting dynamic when it comes to being a car uh, distributor. So if you're Ford, you're Chevy, and you need to sell cars, you can't just sell them directly to consumers. You have to go through uh, individual dealerships. And these are privately owned. These are you know, your mom and pops, or it could be your biggest ones like we have in Jackson. You know, you get the big ones that have multiple locations across the, the area. Well, those dealerships were being bypassed by companies like Tesla. Because for whatever reason, electric cars had these different combustion. They didn't have combustion engines at all. And so it exempted them to a degree from having to from that law, preventing them from selling direct customers. There have been a couple sides of this. On one side, you had electric companies saying, you know, this will help keep prices low for the consumers. Um, But then you have the dealership saying, but that's business we can't have. And, you know, we're already doing so much for the consumers. Why can't we be a part of this? Um, it, and it extends beyond that. There's other ideas that if the dealerships are involved, they can re- reduce prices. Um, it's a back and forth on both sides that's hard to 
really convey just in a few minutes. But long story short, there's a lot of back and forth going on there that I think is insider baseball. Uh, and it could raise prices. It could reduce prices. But they basically just got everybody on the same page and said, let's have local dealerships be a part of this. Thank you. We'd love for you to be part of our show, like Carolyn, who has called in. Send us your questions to our email address. It's legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. And we're talking about the new laws that have been passed in Mississippi. So Senate Bill 2562 increases the penalties of stealing pecans that are being grown as crops. So if you see a pecan farm on uh, Highway uh, uh, 49 as you're driving past, do not stop and uh, grab any of those pecans because they're being grown as crops and there's that stealing. House Bill 1318 allows cities and counties to establish safe drop-off boxes for babies who are up to 45 days old. That bill became law when uh, Governor Reeves signed it on April 19th. We are talking about the newest laws in Mississippi with Kobe Vance, who is the executive producer for our morning news program. And he also uh, they also were the previous legislative reporter when a lot of these bills were passed. All right. So uh, let's move on. What do, what do we got next, Professor Gershon? Well, uh, you know, uh, there's been uh, a lot of talk about the fentanyl epidemic and, you know, uh, and how much fentanyl has come into the country. And so tell us a little bit, Kobe, about Bill House Bill 772 and what it does in terms of fentanyl testing strips. Yeah. So the idea behind those, and I'll get the background first, in Mississippi, if you had these testing strips on your person and you were pulled over or searched by a police officer and they found these, you could be charged with having paraphernalia. Um, that's – I'm not sure exactly what level of crime it was, but it was something that deterred people from having these strips, which honestly can be life-saving. And what happened was you had a bunch of state law enforcement experts, leaders in policing, leaders in sheriffs. Um, they all came together and spoke with lawmakers and uh, – Representative Yancey was one of the biggest proponents of this, trying to get it pushed through the legislature. Basically, what it did was made it to where now you can purchase these legally, you can carry them legally. And just because you have these on you doesn't necessarily associate that with you doing these drugs. And nobody anticipates having a fentanyl overdose. when it comes to these illegal narcotics, a lot of them are laced with fentanyl to try to pump up their you know, potency. And it can be very dangerous if you don't know what you're getting because some people are just not honest with that in that industry. Uh, so as you can imagine, being able to 
take this test strip um, and make sure that what you're about to take is not going to be dangerous, can save lives. That's great. And, and so now you can, you can buy those over the counter, uh, what I understand. Yes. Okay, that's great. All right. Um, now let's talk about uh, one, a law that may be a little more controversial. Um, and I know I had a, a daughter who is just has taught in the Rankin County uh, public school system for three years. She's now going to go get her master's. They're leaving today, in fact, to do that and to take her there. But um, this is about um, uh, the, the, uh, the safety guardians in schools. Talk a little bit about that and, uh, and what that's all about. Senate Bill 2079. There's been a lot of discussions as how do you handle the increase in school shootings and disasters there? It's a tragic situation, and it's a really difficult question to answer. And what Mississippi lawmakers have decided to do is, as part of one answer to this, it's not the full solution. They admit to that. What if teachers had a chance to have a firearm on them? So they are basically giving teachers a opportunity to opt into this program. It's not required. Uh, they will get a small monthly stipend if they do participate. That's between $100 to $500 at the at the discretion of the county uh, uh, school board to be able to you know, determine what their pay is on that. Uh, now, there's a but that said, it's not just any teacher can carry these. There's going to be a lot of stipulations, and this is much beyond even concealed carry. So, for instance, you have to have a firearm license to begin with. Then you have to have a, a, a full instructional training course through the state law enforcement training academy. And you have to have a criminal background check, a psychological screening, shooting proficiency test, and then all of that has to be recertified annually. So there's a lot going into that. And then lastly, you also have to be CPR and first aid certified. And so the idea is that with all these different stipulations that teachers that do participate will be more prepared and more vigilant for when these kind of incidents do arise. Um, there's been pushback against this as well, like you mentioned, because people are concerned what happens if a teacher that has one of these firearms has their own issues. And they try to mitigate this with all those extra things I've mentioned earlier, especially like the psychological screenings and the uh, just police training they have to go through. But that said, it's going to be something where you have to wait and see uh, what's what this could mean for schools. Uh, will it make it better or could it make it worse? Right. I think one concern, you know, it's, uh, you know, these would be in high schools as well. And a lot of times the students are bigger than the teachers in high school. And so maybe the teacher is trained, but, you know, if a, if a student um, is upset about something, could they get access to that weapon? Um, and I think that's you know part of the concern is you're bringing into the classroom, you know, something that could create a danger rather than be a protection. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I know that's been some of the pushback. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's stick with the classroom. Um, you know, uh, Bill, Senate Bill 2346 has been touted as protecting minors from porn obtained through basically certain websites and libraries and schools. How does that work? Yeah, um, I'll start with um, I'll start with that one. And there, I will also note there's also House Bill 
1315 that does something very similar that's actually within the classroom walls. Um, Starting with the Senate bill, what that one does is it creates an age verification requirement for adult websites. So if you want to be able to access what is defined in the law as obscene content and it follows the standard definition of obscenities, um, which is – it's, it's limited in what it can do because this is something that has to deal with free speech and you have to legally define where the, where the lines are. So if you want to access that content now in Mississippi, you have to put in your, um, your ID to be able to use that to verify you are how old you say you are. Now, there's been a lot of pushback from the, those adult online services. Uh, the biggest one has already said that we are cutting off contact with Mississippi where – it, we're, they're too concerned about the privacy issues because Mississippi, unlike Louisiana, doesn't have a centralized system to make sh- to help these companies uh, uh, verify. Verify, yes. Yeah. Um, so they can't, you know, they they can't do that through a verified system within Mississippi, and they would have to do it on their own. So if they want to comply, it's either make their own system that they're going to have to be completely concerned about, that it might have security risks, or you, they can do what uh, the biggest one has done and just say, we're not even going to worry about it. Uh, nobody in Mississippi can access our content anymore. Uh, there are ways to get around it, and there are companies out there that are still hosting that content and not verifying age, and they are at risk for uh, legal action from the attorney general's office. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, that's both those bills are – something to watch because as you mentioned it's uh what is obscene i think is is, is it could be subjective and I, uh, the the concerns about privacy are where it gets really complicated because i think most people can agree it's good to keep this content away from children and in the legislature it had bipartisan support um, there were some across the aisle who also didn't support it and so there was really it's been an interesting thing to see how it's played out because, again, the law has support, but the ramifications of it could be a lot more rocky than we were anticipating. I think it's 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 interesting, and it kind of likens to the um, red light cameras. Uh, you know, when when um, the red light cameras first came to the state, at least in the state of Mississippi, man, I loved them because. People weren't running red lights because they knew they'd get a ticket. Well, then folks started getting tickets and they didn't like it. So now they made a law that pro- I believe there's a law that prohibits the red light camera tickets. So, you know, right now there's the law that prohibits the obscene content unless you have a, uh, you know, you're verified and you can establish your age of consent. <laughs> there may be come a time when people don't want that, and it gets uh, repealed. Uh, yeah, and I also wanted to go on to House Bill 1315 because it's so similar, but this one is specifically for inside school buildings. Uh, if, it's, if it's a public school or even charter schools, it applies to them. And so what this one does, it prevents school libraries from contracting with companies that provide obscene content as defined in that bill. It's very similar to the other one. What it does is 
it really has an impact on the online services that schools provide. So one of the biggest services out there that libraries use is called Libby. A lot of people use that from their public library, and they can say, hey, I want to rent a book digitally, read it on my tablet, my e-reader, and you can go on Libby and just you know reserve your spot. Or if it's already available, just go ahead and read it. This could disrupt that for some schools because under the language of the bill, you could define – things like the Scarlet Letter or works by Shakespeare as falling within this category of obscene content because it discusses sexual materials. And that's going to be something that schools and library experts are going to have to work through. In fact, in fact uh, one school district uh, banned the Bible under this same rubric because there's certainly sexual content and, you know, murder and all kinds of things of the Bible. So, I mean, it, it really is open to uh, interpretation. Yeah. We're excited to bring you this a little bit different in legal terms show today. We're talking about the laws that you created or your re- representatives and legislative representatives created. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to make you part of our show on this topic. Email us your questions or you the, use the Talk to Us feature on the MPB Public Media app. Our address for this show is legalterms at mpbonline.org. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast or find MPB Think Radio recordings on our website for the whole station, mpbonline.org slash radio. So Senate Bill 2073 allows people to enter to purchase real estate at the age of 18. The previous minimum was age 21, unless the minor was emancipated. Senate Bill 2228 authorizes the sale of pet insurance. And after my puppy fell off the couch and we spent $2,000 to put a pin in her leg, I wish I had had pet insurance for that. And Senate Bill 2358 prohibits handling large number of absentee ballots. A lawsuit filed by Disability Rights Mississippi and other plaintiffs seeks to block that law, arguing that it could disenfranchise voters who have disabilities by preventing them from receiving help from organizations and people they trust. We're talking about the newest laws in Mississippi with our guest, MPB News, Kobe Vance. Professor Gershon, you're all about the contracts. What about this real estate uh, purchasing at 18 instead of 21? What do you think about that personally? You know, I think it, I think it does open up, um, obviously, options for people who would be adults in a lot of states. I mean, Mississippi uh, it's 21 is uh, when someone is considered, you know, an adult who can contract. So I think that's that's probably a good step um, and, and more in line with what a lot of other states do. Uh, Kobe, what, did, did you get any insights from the legislature on this one? Or This is actually came as part of a bigger wave to focus on adoption and foster care systems this year. Uh, Child Protective Services has a lot of kids that kids that come through and if they you know, hit that older age, they don't have a place to fall back on anymore. And 
a lot of them are having to find ways to have housing. And so what happens when you age out of the system and you can't even buy a house, you can't rent a property, you're really in a mess and you can be set up pretty much right off the bat for homelessness or housing insecurity. And so this offers a pathway, and this was pitched as an off, a, way, a pathway to be able to help those kids. Uh, I say kids, they're going to be adults, uh, but help them get a start in their life without having to worry about their housing. And now there are also concerns, obviously, of what if you take advantage of these people? Uh, they're, they're young. They're, that's a lot of financial responsibility to take on at such a young age. But I think that's going to have to be a decision that they will have. That makes so much more sense now knowing from you where that law uh, originated from. I'll just also throw in one of the bills, Senate Bill 2696, creates an income tax credit of up to $10,000 for adopting a child who lives in Mississippi and $5,000 for adopting a child from outside the state. And House Bill 510 is designed to increase transparency for foster parents and make employees from the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services more readily available to them. Uh, This is wonderful. These are some of the new laws that we discussed, Professor Gershon, when we had the uh, uh, head of the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services on in legal terms. And I'm glad that we're recognizing that these individuals need to be protected and helped. I've talked with Commissioner Sanders many times over this past few months, so you can imagine uh, we've had dozens of conversations about this. I think some of the other things that are interesting, um, the the Attorney General's office proposed that there should be a foster parents' bill of rights, and this gives foster parents more control over uh, the children that they are fostering. It does open up some legal concerns, and they did not have a direct uh, endorsement from the Department of Child Protective Services because of these concerns. Uh, that said, Child Protective Services is going to – they say they are going to comply. They're going to get behind it. Um, but the idea behind it was that if a foster – if a parent, a biological parent of a child wants to regain custody – Sometimes for the foster parents, it can feel like they're being ripped out from underneath them, uh, especially after they put so much care into the child and helping make sure that they're living the best life they can. And so that's going to be some uh, more protections for them as uh, biological parents seek to regain custody. Then another one that was being pushed by the Department of Child Protective Services was House Bill 1149, and that's the pathway to permanency. The legal system, as you're probably very well aware, is a complicated and claustrophobic mess when it comes to trying to navigate child protective services. Um, You have so many cases that have to go before the courts, and they all have to be scheduled. Well, those schedules are already booked up in so many places across Mississippi that we have a backlog. And if you want to be able to work through your adoption, that might take you years. I've been talking to people who were able to adopt their child over the past year, and they've been going since 2011, 2010. And so it's a massive hurdle. But what this pathway to permanency will do is it's going to get judges, attorneys. It's going to get uh, social workers. They're going to all be on the same page finally. 
and at least have some dialogue to be able to better schedule, uh, better work together, and get more people through the adoption system faster. That's great. And thank you for that explanation about the uh, real estate, because that does make a lot more sense. It's great to have somebody who's kind of getting the inside information as these bills are passed, because um, sometimes we, we see a, a, you know, a law come into place and we don't really know what's behind it. Um, and so that was really, uh, really enlightening. Um, now let's talk a little bit about uh, House Bill 1020, another controversial bill. Um, and, and what is it about? House Bill 1020 gives the Capitol Police Force more jurisdiction and more control over their area of the city of Jackson. Um, when I say Capitol Police, they are they have been historically the force that oversees the area of downtown Jackson that is the state capitol building plus some other government buildings, government-owned buildings ever so around it. They have been pushing as Jackson's crime rate has grown to grow that uh, jurisdiction. Last year they were able to get that passed and they grew their boundaries um, just – and they were able to get a partnership with the city going – that didn't have too much friction, and the city was for it, or the city was not necessarily against it. Um, also last year and the year before during the pandemic, a backlog of court cases, like I mentioned earlier, with the Child Protective Services, there's just so much in the system right now that cases are dragging on and on and on. People are sitting in jail, unable to go see a judge and have their day in court. To help with that, during the pandemic, the legislature gave a few temporary judges to the Hines County court system and said, you can use our space here in one of our buildings in downtown Jackson. Uh, you can help. They can help work through all this giant caseload and help clear up the system, get people through it faster. What 1020 did was try to take both of those ideas and push it to the next step. So Capitol Police would get even more jurisdiction. They would have more power. And when it came to, to the judges, now they're creating what's called an inferior court. Now, inferior can be a confusing term. So what that means is it's a court system within an area already controlled by a court system. And they're going to be acting independently, but at the same time, they'll have co-jurisdiction over their area. So you can have your case heard in this temporary court, or you can have it heard in um, the Hines County court system. This court is temporary according to the law. Uh, this law does have a repealer on it, so um, within a couple years it should expire. And the issue with it becomes that this is going beyond what the city had agreed to necessarily. Uh, the city did say they needed help, but this is uh, what the city is saying, stripping their power away. Every judge in Mississippi is elected, but these judges are not going to be elected. They're going to be appointed by the state Supreme Court justice. And with all of that, it, it could be taking the voting rights away from some residents also, it creates a situation where you have some parts of Jackson which are being policed differently than the rest of Jackson, whether that be for better or for worse. You know, maybe you are just someone who is being falsely accused. So, and if you want to challenge that, if you have something that 
even if you were doing something wrong, if you were feel like you were abused by the police, going to trying to raise that concern to the Capitol Police is much harder than being able to go to the mayor's office and say, hey, look, Jackson Police Department really uh, did something wrong. But being able to go to the department, the State Department of um, Public Service or Public Safety Commission, that's going to be a whole different ballgame to try to get a complaint filed. I am so curious and invested on how this, I don't know, mess of spaghetti is going to play out. As a resident of Jackson, it's, it's so very interesting because I have heard a number of people in law enforcement have said, oh, this is great. We really need help. Uh, and if, you know, if we can get this help, that's great. And it's interesting that I believe the expanded jurisdiction is more in the predominantly white residential areas. Yes. So, uh, you know, the, one of the arguments is that these are white judges uh, going over black citizens and residents, but it's n- not that much because they aren't being protected or uh, you know, getting the benefit, uh, a number of the, the West Jackson residents who are predominantly black aren't getting the benefit or the detriment of this. So I think it's just quite a mess. And it, I think it'll be so interesting. And, you know, maybe when the sun sets, everyone will just say, well, good riddance or, you know, here's a we've learned what not to do or we've learned I don't know. I just hope they can learn from this once it uh, sunsets. And I know I mentioned earlier that this does have a deadline on it, but the deadlines in the legislature are always optional. They can always re- they can extend it and extend it, or they can even end it early. That's up to them. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Don't forget 11 Central on Tuesdays following this over-the-air broadcast. You can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPP Think Radio. And if you would like to hear more about this topic, hey, listen to the podcast of Mississippi Edition from this morning, uh, July 11th, and also listen July 12th to that broadcast or podcast. Hey, one thing that Mississippians might need to know is also is an Alabama law that, oh, I had it written down and now I can't find it. Where did that Alabama Oh, it's something about you can't drive and talk on, the, you can't hold a phone when you drive. So everybody in uh, Meridian and Iuka and anybody who's uh, going to happen to be driving to the, the coast, uh, the Mobile area, you can't, even if you're hands-free, if I believe that uh, KIV says if, you, if you're holding a phone and driving, you can get a ticket. And just to hit quickly some of these others, and then we'll uh, maybe discuss some of them. The um, Mississippi Department of Public Safety created a vulnerable persons abuse registry. There's a... New Early Learning Collaborative Funding. Uh, Our auditor, Sean, has uh, 
cre- they is is excited about the public registry of those found guilty of misspending taxpayer money. Money. The in February, the House Bill 1125 that bans gender affirming health care for transgender people under the age of 18 became law. Uh, we're going to purge the voter rolls. So uh, <laughs> um, I, I, Professor Gershon, I really want to talk about the primary elections August 8th at on another date. But uh, yesterday was the deadline to be registered to vote for the primary. So if you want to vote uh, in November, you need to get your uh, make sure you've got your voters registration ducks in a line before October. Uh, They're going to try to get through the backlog of all the rape kits that are being housed. You can get tax credits for uh, contributing food to pantries and soup kitchens. Um, Kobe, what's uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. What anything you'd like to comment about? Yeah, there's also some uh, state was pretty focused on making sure that uh, international uh, competition is being warded off, uh, specifically when it comes to China. So back earlier this year, some uh, listeners may remember the governor basically told all state employees and state departments, hey, if you have a state-owned device, you can't use TikTok anymore. And that executive order has been in effect. But a law just also codified it to where now it's definite you cannot have TikTok on state-owned devices. This is a security issue that they say uh, can help make sure that state-owned devices aren't going to be open to the Chinese government using backdoors that are that allegedly could be built into the app either now or at some point in the future. Then also we had a bill that prevents Mississippi from selling land to foreign governments. And it, it's a concern that uh, – Chinese nationals are purchasing – or Chinese, the Chinese government is purchasing land here in the state, the farmland that's uh, being valued low. And I don't have insight as to why, uh, but I think state lawmakers saw that and threw up a red flag in their book. So they said, let's cut it off. Professor Gershon, what are uh, – in, anything you want to uh, – what do you want to talk about? Well, and this is one maybe we should get uh, – also have our friend Ron Rischleck uh, back on to talk more about, but um, House Bill 606 opens the door in Mississippi for possible online sports betting. Uh, you know, now, this is the have. bill where they're uh, forming an exploratory committee? That's right. That's right. And uh, that could be interesting because uh, once that happens, I mean, I, 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 you, you really, other states have it now. You see commercials for it all the time. Uh, on every sporting event, which kind of worries me that they advertise on sporting events, but uh, th- that'll be interesting. So it'll be, we'll, we'll have to follow that. Nothing has really happened yet, except for, as you said, the exploratory committee. Yeah, it could be a while. Mississippi only just got the lottery a couple of years ago. Uh, so we'll see if lawmakers are ready to say, okay, well, let's just do it even in your own home and in your chair with your cell phone. So we'll, we'll see. Jay, did you have a, a, a comment on this? Well, yeah, it's, you know, now you can you can do it mobily if you're on the sites of casinos. Oh, if you are standing using the Wi-Fi or the well, I don't know if about the Wi-Fi, but they can somehow track your GPS. But if you're doing oh, okay. it, if you're doing it on, and I can't remember if it's on the process on the 
the the the, the actual property of the casino or if it's the sports book within the casino but this will make it to where you can do it just about anywhere that that's all interesting and in in legal terms has a podcast we discussed sports betting and um we do need to update that because i do think the ncaa has now gotten some change has made some changes so we'll we will need to update that topic and knowing mississippi there's going to be a hefty tax put on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we tax, we were talking about electric, electric vehicles before and, and hybrid vehicles and they pay an extra tax. I will never understand that. Uh, but uh, speaking of taxes, you know, one thing that didn't get passed this year, which I think is interesting was a reduction of income tax. Lawmakers oh, didn't yeah. do anything. That was at, you know, Tate Reeves, big baby, the, the year before this Reeves last one. And, um, speaker of the house, Philip Gunn were both fully ready to eliminate income tax last year. It ended in a pretty big grinding halt right near the end of the session, which even delayed teacher pay raises. And then this year, uh, they were going to address it again, but they weren't sure where budgets were going with the possible recession we could have been facing. And now it's fair to say that Mississippi's passed that, and we even have a huge surplus of seven hundred plus million dollars. But you know, I think lawmakers just decided this year they weren't even going to worry about it. I wish uh, that they would address the grocery tax because we do have the biggest grocery tax in the country. At seven percent, a lot of a lot of states don't tax groceries, so that's something I wish they would uh, consider. If I had a wish list, we ought to do a wish list show one of these days too. Well, and this is what I think in legal term listeners need to know, need to remember. Like the school children in Madison who wanted the blueberry to be the state fruit. If you like something, if you don't like something, this is your time. To contact your representative and your state senators, they're running for re-election in case you haven't gone past an intersection to see all of the signs. And if you feel passionate enough, run yourself. We need good people who can help take care of our state. Kobe, we're so glad that you could join us today. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you all for having me. I really enjoyed it. We love hearing Kobe uh peep in and pop in on uh, interviews and uh, parts of Mississippi edition, which you can hear Monday through Friday at 8.30 a.m. on MPB and find their podcasts, everything. Just go to mpbonline.org. You can get all sorts of information. So, Professor Gershon, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Don't be sad about the kids going, uh, going out. I hope you enjoy this day and enjoy another fantastic year. Thank you, Liz. I appreciate that. This wraps up In Legal Terms with uh, Jay White and our intern, uh, Tim. I don't remember his name. (laughs) Luke, Luke. Sorry, Luke. (laughs) I'm Liz Gill. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 